Amen. Uh, Turn with me now in your Bibles, if you would, uh, to Acts 22. As we move through uh, our series in the book of Acts, if you're using the Blue Church Bibles, that's page 1,184. Uh, This incident here in Acts 22 actually begins uh, in the middle of chapter 21. Paul has come back to Jerusalem, and it has now gotten to be pretty well known in Jerusalem that Paul was teaching that all of the ceremonial laws, all of the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament, things like the dietary laws, all the different sacrifices that were done in the temple, all those things, the stuff that you may not touch, the things that you should not eat uh, to keep you pure and undefiled, doesn't actually make you clean before God. That was among the things that Paul was teaching. In fact, Paul will say that those laws show that you can't obey those laws on your own, that you can't keep the law, and that you need a savior. It was also well known that this uh, that he was saying that the Gentiles could come into the people of God by believing in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and not have to adopt any of those ceremonial laws. Because again, those things don't make you clean in the first place. Of course, word of this has gotten out so that when Paul comes to Jerusalem, he goes to the temple with some other Jewish Christians and uh, people recognize him. And as a result um, of the offense that people are taking to Paul's teaching, a riot breaks out. Uh, Paul finds himself at the bottom of a pile. He's being beaten within an inch of his life. Uh, and that's when the Roman soldiers were told a tribune comes in and has to try to pull everybody apart. Clearly, Paul is the reason for this fracas starting in the first place. Uh, but as he's let out, Paul uh, uh, tells the uh, soldier, as he so often does, he kind of pulls the card that I'm a Roman citizen, uh, so you can't just beat me without a trial. But also he asks this uh, tribune if he can make a speech uh, to to those who were there. And uh, the tribune lets him do it. And that's where we pick up the story here in, um, in Acts chapter 22. Follow along as I read God's word. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them, I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. 
Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand of those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man who, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me, said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem, was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, as we hear a testimony today from the Apostle Paul, show us, Lord, some of the similarities, maybe some of the contrasts from our own testimony. Uh, may our hearts, Lord, more and more conform to your likeness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there's a sense that this passage is largely about freedom. It's about finally finding your way to who you really are. It's about realizing uh, your true identity, or Paul at least realizing his true identity, and the entire purpose of your life, and having the freedom then to pursue that life. And yet, ironically, it's being told by someone, being told by the Apostle Paul, in his last moments of physical freedom. From here on out, Paul will be a man in chains. He, Paul will be a man under house arrest. And yet, here he is being held onto, and the tribune there standing next to him. He's under arrest already, and yet he's talking about freedom. And this freedom, Paul says, is so freeing that he can't help but want it for everyone else that is there who wants to see him in chains. So let's look at how Paul can talk about freedom when he's about as less free as he's ever been. Uh, this morning we're going to look at uh, Paul's testimony, how he talks about uh, who I was, uh, that's verses 1 to 5, who I became, verses 6 to 16, and then we're going to look at who are you. There's an implication at the end of Paul's testimony that there is one of two ways we can react to a testimony like that, and so we need to hear that too. Who I was, who I became, and who are you? 
So first, who I was. In a short while, Joel Lai, uh, like so many others, is coming forward to be confirmed in the faith. Uh, Baptized and raised under the promises of God, today she publicly says, those promises are for me. The grace of God has been given to me, and I receive it now, today, as a gift. And she has given this testimony to her parents, and then to me, and then to the elders. Uh, This is a testimony that says, this is who I am, this is who God is, and this is how I am loved by God in and through Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is doing the very same thing here in chapter 2, Uh, chapter 22, with one significant exception. His testimony kind of is the first of a kind. It uh, it happens at a hinge point in redemptive history, we might say in the history of the world. A hinge point in God's revelation to the world where Paul says, this is who I was. This is who I thought God was. But now I know that this is how I am loved by God, and now you can be too. In a sense, Paul is saying something here in Acts 22 that transcends the centuries and challenges us today with the Bible's idea that there are essentially two ways that you can live in this world. Essentially, two ways that you can live in this world. You can either live by law or you can live by grace. And yes, that means that if you're here today and you're, you're not a believer in Jesus or you say you're agnostic or you say you're an atheist, the Bible's assumption is that, and you have to stick with me on this, that, that you still live by law, some kind of law by which you live. Now, here's how it played out. Paul has been preaching now for many years, taking the good news out to places in Asia and in Europe, and he's just recently come home back to, back to Jerusalem. And Paul says that the good news is this. God saves sinners apart from the law. God saves sinners apart from the law. More than that, God saves all people, not just Jews, but Gentiles as well, apart from the law by grace alone. That's what makes it good news. As you embrace the person and work of Jesus, Jesus as your Savior, Jesus the promised and prophesied Messiah of the Old Testament, the one and only uh, one who obtained righteousness and paid for the sins of those who come to him by faith. When you do that, when you receive it, your life is transformed. When you receive it, you become as free, Paul says, as I am. And if you add anything else to that message, Paul says, You compromise that message. In fact, what you serve to do is put people back in chains. Take people back out of that freedom and and back into bondage. You dilute and you destroy that message. And then the freedom, Paul says, that I want you all to have, you lose it. You lose it. This is where the hinge on the door opens wide to something long planned, but Paul says newly revealed. Now, one of the issues here was that the Jews at this time, they prized their traditions. They prized their traditions. They prized traditions so much so that these things that were signs of who they were, something like circumcision, became the thing it signified. Do you know what I mean by that? 
the, the, uh, circumcision was a sign. It was a sign that God gave to the, to the Israelites of a softened heart. So you do this weird, nobody ever would have invented it on their own surgical procedure where uh, softer flesh is revealed under uh, rougher flesh. And that's supposed to be a sign of an inward reality, a truth that, that you need, that we need, have hearts of stone removed and a heart of flesh put in. But these people had taken that sign, and, and signs always point to a greater significance, the need for a heart of flesh, and made it the thing it signified itself. Such that if you're circumcised, that's all you need. You've been transformed, you see, by the sign. And Paul says that, that a good thing has then become, become an idol. And, 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 and so the keeping kosher, people thought, if I keep kosher, if I eat a certain way, that will make me clean, whereas keeping kosher was a sign of my need to be clean. So the sign became the thing signified. <clears throat> so they, they, they came to see that these things made them holy, so that when it came time to see if there could be a merger in the church between the Jewish and Gentile believers, you had Jews looking over at these pagans. You know, Maybe they believed in Jesus just last week. And they said, I've seen the food that that person eats. I see the way that they, they, they used to talk. I used to pass them in the marketplace. I stayed far apart from that person. And so just last week, that person says, I trust in Jesus. I know that they've been living an unholy life. I can't have anything to do with them. And they're going to throw out these signs. No, I want to see the signs. I want to see them eat kosher. I want to see them celebrating the special feast days. I want to know that that person got circumcised so I know that they're where I'm at. So they can prove to me that they're, as, they're, they're separate, they're holy. They're who they're supposed to be, see? You guys eat that stuff? You can't be holy doing that. And then the Gentiles, they were looking over at the Jews and they said, you guys go on and on and on and on and on about this Moses guy. Who is this Moses guy? We worship Jesus as Messiah and you keep talking about Moses. Now, that may sound silly to you, but it made friendship among Christians impossible. Suddenly, they're at the, you know, they're at, you know, you can just imagine Paul and, you know, back in Jerusalem. Hey, let's have a potluck. And then one of these Gentiles comes in with Aunt Martha's wonderful, succulent, roasted pig knuckle stew and boom <laughs> all right it just blows up and a bunch of people leave and and that's just over the food there was the temple there were the other ceremonial laws now step back for a moment from all of that step back you can just hear can't you some of the divisions some of maybe the the racial ideological hatred between people, some of the pride there, some of the self-righteousness on both sides. And, and I don't know about you, but it sounds to me like everything in the news today, everything in politics today, everything in social media today, my side is better than yours. Anyone who thinks like you do shouldn't even be in the public square. You know, That person says something I don't like, I'm just going to block them. And, and so here, listen to what Paul does now to break down all of those walls. He says, <clears throat> he says, 
religion never works. He says, religion never works. Look at verse 3. Paul says, let's talk about religion. I am a Jew. I was brought up in this city, Jerusalem. I was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. He was the, the, the top pharisaical teacher of the day. I studied at his feet. I know the law. I was, I was educated, Paul says, according to the strictest manner of the law of our fathers. I was just as zealous for God as you are this day. In fact, he says, I persecuted these Gentiles just like I was persecuting Gentiles before you were born. Right? I, 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 I did it. I was asked to do it. I persecuted the way to death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. I didn't just like lop them off at the head with the leaders. I, you know, I, I, it didn't matter to me, male, female, mothers, fathers. I didn't care. I bound them all up. I put them all in prison. I was there holding the cloaks when people were stoning Stephen. I've been at this persecution thing for a long time. And I, I knew that that was keeping me holy. I was separate from those Gentiles. I stand, Paul is basically saying, where you stand today. He held to the very same positions, he's saying, that, that you that have put me in chains, I, I, I held those same positions, even to the point of causing a riot and persecuting Stephen. I was you. Until, Paul says, did you catch it? Until I saw God. Until I saw God. I was confronted, Paul says, by the righteous one. That's when everything changed. Now, some of you here say, you say, well, that's not me. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not religious. Some of you say, I've never been religious in my life. I'm not religious today. And I get that. But the Bible presupposes, this is the Bible's view of humanity. This is the, the Bible's anthropology, okay, is that everyone is religious. Bible says we are all religious. We're all worshiping something. Everyone has a set of transcendent truths and things that they think of as right and other transcendent things that we think of as wrong. That you have a belief system, whether you're an atheist or a Christian or a Jew or a Muslim, we're all religious people. Uh, the, the Christian philosopher Francis Schaeffer was trying to figure out a way to kind of illustrate this so that everyone would sort of get it. And he, this is what he came up with, and, and, and I appreciate that. He, he says that it's as if everyone is walking around in this world, not with a tablet of the Ten Commandments around their neck that they don't know about, but an invisible recording device. We're all walking around, imagine this, we're all walking around with an invisible recording device around our neck. Everyone's got it, whether you can see it or not. Don't look down. And on the day of judgment, you'll be approached, um, you'll approach the throne of God. And, and Francis, Francis Schaeffer says, many people are going to approach God and they're going to say, God, give me a break. I didn't even know that you existed. <laughs> you know, Somehow, I know that you're a powerful God. I see that today. But somehow you were not powerful enough to change my mind so that when somebody told me about God, I would get it because... I didn't get it. So you can't me, hold me responsible for something that I never believed in. And Schaefer says, in that moment, God will suddenly reach over and the invisible becomes visible. 
and God reaches over and suddenly around your neck the recording device appears that's always been there but you didn't know about it. And um, God says sweetly, don't worry. Don't worry. I am the fairest judge you could possibly imagine. I will not judge you according to my laws. I will not judge you according to the Ten Commandments. I won't even judge you according to the Bible that you've never read. You've always wondered how people on Gilligan's Island were saved if they hadn't heard the Bible. I won't even use a Bible. I'm going to judge you by using your own words. See, this recording device that you have around your neck, every time you said or you wrote, I've updated Francis Schaeffer a little bit, every time you wrote or you said or you posted or you tweeted the words, you should, you ought, or it isn't fair, the recording device went on. It was like you said, Alexa, boom, it's on. (laughs) And every time you said, you should, or you ought, or it isn't fair, boom, the recording device went on. And so this recorder only laid down the audio or the social media of the standards that you laid down for all the people around you. You will only be judged by the standards which you judge everyone else for your entire life. So let's take a listen. And God hits play. Now, That's Schaefer's way of capturing that that millisecond mind-blowing moment where you realize just how religious you really are. Because now you're about to hear every time you told somebody else, you should, you shouldn't, or you never, or I would never, or that isn't fair. All All the many commands that came out of your mouth. All the things that you think other people should do. And that's also the millisecond, the mind-blowing millisecond, where you realize you have not lived up to your own law. That you haven't done those things yourself. That, by the way, is Schaefer's way of saying, that's religion. That's religion. Religion is when you save yourself or when you have a part in saving yourself. And it just doesn't work because in that moment, everything breaks down because you see that you are trying to live up to your own law and that you have at the same time been living as God. That was your perfect system. If I'm God and I set the the law and I set the law for everybody else, well, I wouldn't set a law that I couldn't possibly do myself. And yet when we listen to ourselves, I mean, that's, that's what living, I don't know about you, this is what living in my family is. I keep hearing things back from my wife and kids that I tell everybody else in the house to do. And why does it come back to me? Because they just went, but you don't do it. I don't need an invisible recorder around my neck. I have children. See, all of my inconsistencies, all of my hypocrisy comes back to visit me like 24 hours a day. Friends, that is what is common in every testimony, who I was, what I was, how hypocritical I was, how I didn't even follow my own law, how I was in darkness, I was blind. The way Jesus puts it, I had a board hanging out of my own eye. Everyone else saw it was this ginormous board. I didn't see it at all. I, kept, I could see the speck in your eye a mile away. That's how every testimony goes. I lived in a way where I thought I was right, but then the light revealed that I was in darkness and I was wrong. Point two, that's who I was. Now, point two, who I became. 
When Paul explains what happens to him in verses 6 to 16, he begins by saying that he was confronted by Jesus of Nazareth. Now, uh, uh, Paul gives his testimony a, a, a few times, and it's a point that Paul likes to make because he knows that they know exactly who he's talking about. In fact, during Peter's very first uh, sermon back in Acts chapter 2, uh, Peter talks about Jesus of Nazareth, and everybody knows who he's talking about. This Jesus, Peter says, who you offered up to the cross, whose crucifixion you participated in, it's the same man. Now, think about this. <clears throat> Paul is saying that the one that you've heard about, that testimony's been given about, that you've heard was crucified on a cross, who died. I met him after he died. That's what Paul's saying here. He, he lives, Paul's saying. Paul doesn't say, I saw a ghost, but rather, I met the man who is God, Jesus of Nazareth, on the road to Damascus. Now, <clears throat> step back from that for a moment, because Paul, Paul is accused here. Why he's in chains at this moment? He's in chains for breaking the laws of the temple. They, they think he brought in this Gentile guy named Trophimus. He didn't really do it, but that's what they say he did. But Paul responds by introducing these people that are listening to him to a person. They say, you are not righteous because you've broken the law. Paul says the way to be righteous is you got to meet a person. It's personal. He says, before you put me aside or put me down by the law, brothers and fathers, let me introduce you to a person. Not that he once lived, yes, he lived, but that he lived and died and that he who died lives. Let me introduce you to him. <clears throat> now, let's say this before we move on. Let's say this because the Bible's clear about this. If Jesus is not presently living, then everyone here in this room is free to think to say or do whatever you see fit. Because if Jesus is not living, then Jesus is not God. And we are still left, as the Bible says, in our trespasses and sins. So that's why Paul says, you might as well eat, drink, and be merry if Jesus is not living, if Jesus is not raised, if Jesus is not resurrected, if Jesus is not ascended, he's not God. Jesus doesn't live, he is not God. And if Jesus is not God, he can't be Lord. So that, so that Paul is saying that the guy that you thought you killed is alive. I've met him. He's calling you to the same repentance that he called me to. I was, I, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I studied at the foot of Gamaliel. When I met him on the road, when I saw the light, I had to, I had to repent. I saw immediately. I was undone. I suddenly saw my heart and the state of my heart for what it really was. And I saw that Jesus lives. But then Paul gets even more personal than that because Paul says that this person, Jesus of Nazareth, confronted him by asking him this question, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus, and I think this is remarkable, he, he didn't just hand Paul a, a traffic ticket. Paul, oh, you have broken this law and this law and this law and you are toast and therefore you are first blind and then I will put you to death. 
And he didn't, he didn't uh, kind of approach Paul with a legal sentence like a judge would. Of course, there is a legal aspect to this. But he didn't just end it and say, Paul, the wages of sin is death. You now see that you are a sinner, even though you are a Pharisee of the Pharisees. So again, you're toast, you die, and that's it. No, Paul says that when Jesus confronted him, it was personal. Why, Saul, are you persecuting me? When you persecuted the people of the way, you were persecuting me. Jesus is saying, Paul, not only is this personal, we need to get personal here between you and me, but when you, when you persecuted my people, that was personal too. This is personal, Jesus tells Paul. Now let that sink in for a minute. Let it sink in. God starts a conversation with a person while that person still hates him. Because where where is Paul going? Paul says, well, I I was on the road to Damascus. I was doing my job. I was out to persecute people of the way. I met Jesus. And while I was actively hating Jesus and all the followers of Jesus, Jesus came to me and said, why are you persecuting me? God starts conversations with people while they still hate him. Think about this. Paul thought the essence of faith was religion, not relationship. All of the stuff that he listed about who he was, his pedigree, his training by this guy Gamaliel, all that stuff confused him. He thought the goal of life was how good you can be instead of whom you know and who knows you. He thought that if he did the law, he'd get a personal God. But actually, by doing the law, he was keeping away a relationship with the God of the universe. That by doing the law, Paul goes on to say, by doing the law, I persecuted Jesus. Because by, I, when I did the law, I really thought I was doing it. By doing the law, I was basically saying, I don't need a Messiah. That's how sinful, Paul says, I was. Paul thought if he did the law, make no mistake about it, like most of us, he actually thought he was doing it, that he was a good person, that if he did the law, he would get the relationship that God would both like and love him if he did the law. But in doing the law, he didn't become a lover of God or a lover like God, but he became a hater. A hater of God and of people. But friends, there is good news. A hater whom God befriended. A hater whom God loved. God started a conversation with a man while the man still hated him. What kind of conversation? Listen to the tone of Jesus' voice. Saul, Saul, why did you persecute me? No arrogance, no condemning attitude. He asked a simple question with tenderness. You can almost hear Jesus pleading, Saul, Saul, imploring, hoping to win over a wayward child who was busy murdering Jesus' own children. Friends, this is what we call the tender mercies of Jesus. This is why we sing Amazing Grace 
Um, uh, that, that there will come a day when Jesus does return as judge, but today is the day that he tenderly calls you. That's why John Newton wrote that song. Here's John Newton saying, I am a slaver. I oppressed and had people killed. And by God's grace, he forgave me for that. What a wretch I am. What an amazing God he is. Can you be as free as I am? And Paul is saying, in chains. I saw what a wretch I was. Do you want to be free like me? I love the tender way that Jesus introduces himself. Saul, Saul, I am Jesus. <laughs> right? You know, I am Jesus. God introduces himself to Paul. I'm Jesus. Then he promises, by the way, immediately an ongoing relationship. You will, you will be told what to do next. I'm going to tell you where I'm taking you next. Like we said, there are two ways you can live. You can live by the law. You can live by the, by, whether it's by the Ten Commandments and the ceremonial law and any kind of law that you can come up with to protect you from breaking the law. Or you can live by your own law. But guess what? Whatever law you live by, it will never forgive you. It will always be unforgiving. Or, or you can live by grace, by the God who is holier than any law that you can imagine. His holiness lies behind his law and yet comes to us tenderly and says, whatever your name is today, let me introduce myself to you. I am Jesus who did the law for you. Because you can try to forgive yourself, but you know this. It's one thing to, 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 to do it, to, to, to tell yourself, I forgive myself. It's another thing to believe that you truly are. I take it from somebody who was in therapy for almost 15 years where the whole project was, can I forgive myself for everything I do? I'll tell you what kept that going, $150 a week. <laughs> right? <laughs> All I, when I heard the gospel, all I needed is for the God of the universe to say, you are forgiven. And it's not because of anything you can do or how much money you put in an envelope to the therapist. I paid for it in my son. It is done and it is forgiven. But it gets more personal. Paul tells us that in the white hot light of holiness of Jesus, the glory of Christ, the light of the world, Jesus, Paul saw just how sinful he was. And as a gracious indicator of Paul's need, of his condition, Jesus let the darkness be as darkness can be. Paul lost his sight. He became blind. And into this situation, this guy Ananias, another devout man who lived according to the law, just like Paul, comes into Paul's life by God's leading and tells Paul that he's been appointed, that he, Paul, has been appointed by the God of our fathers to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. Now, did you catch that? Paul is a trained Pharisee, trained by the best of the best. And he is giving this defense to other teachers of the law to his, he calls them, my brothers and my fathers. And he knows they're thinking the same thing that he was. If you had asked Saul, if you had asked Saul, in the midst of persecuting Christians, who the righteous one of God was, Saul would have said, I am. 
I am. Israel is. Any good Pharisee, if you asked him who the righteous one was, a Pharisee would have said, I am. And friends, that right there is how you know who you were and then how you know who you're meant to be. When you know that you are not the righteous one. That you could never be the righteous one. That you could never be righteous enough. But that God has appointed you to see the one who is righteous. That you need a substitute, the one who truly is righteous. That's when the freedom breaks in to your life and world. Jesus Christ is the only one upon whom God looks and says, he is righteous. We are not approved by our religious resume. We are not approved by our college degrees. We are not approved by our niceness quotient. We are not approved by our politics and our passions. The only thing that that provides the approval that we need before a holy God is Jesus Christ. The righteous one. So do you have a relationship with him? If not, this is the day of appointment, right? Ananias tells Paul, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will. What is God's will? Over in John 6, 29, Jesus is asked exactly that question. What is the will of God? What is the work of God? And Jesus says, the work of God is that you believe in him who he has sent. Believe in me. That's the only work you do. Receive what I did on your behalf And now you've done the will of God. Trust in Jesus. And you become who you were always meant to be. Last point. So who are you? Who are you? Paul's life after this point would never be the same. He was completely, utterly transformed in those 10 seconds. That's what he's saying about his testimony. In those 10 seconds, Paul experienced something so amazing. He goes through this in the book of Philippians. The, the transforming grace of the gospel, such that he threw away a lifetime of privilege and hard work. He says, all that stuff that I did that was hard work, all the study I did, that was dung compared to the mercies and the grace, the transforming grace of the gospel. I don't need that stuff anymore. The law has been fulfilled. And, 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 and so he was now offered this unchanging relationship of love and acceptance with the Holy One. Now, Paul says, now when I sin, now, brothers and sisters, when you sin, we know we're not sinning against the law, we're sinning against love. We don't sin against the law anymore, we sin against love. Do you, do you, do you understand that difference? I, I've, I've told the story numerous times. It's the, it's, the, it's the best illustration I have of this. There was a time in, in um, um, when my kids were very small. Uh, I had to drive into Princeton to, to do something with the kids. And I had to be back home by a certain time because my mother would be there. And uh, uh, we, we spent, me and the, the kids and I spent too much time in town. I suddenly looked at my watch. Got to get home to get there for so my mother's going to be there. She's a respecter of time. <clears throat> and I was late. So I, I, I sped down 206 uh, heading north of Princeton, got pulled over by a police officer. My kids thought this is the greatest thing in the world. You know, <laughs> The lights are flashing. They've never seen that before. When the cop came by the, the window of the car, and Ethan saw the cop with the gun. This is like the best thing he'd ever seen. And I'm like, do I have my license and registration? <laughs> and it's, I, I felt law. I felt fear. I felt 
condemnation. My kids are actually seeing bad daddy. And now, now worse than that, I'm going to get to the house later and my mother is going to see bad daddy. Right? And two levels of law. You see that? Right? So the guy takes my license and registration. Now, the one thing that I had was my boss at the time was the chaplain of the church, of, of, of the police department. So the, I, you know, I wonder if I can use that. <laughs> right? I'm not above that. So, um, so the cop comes and says, so where were you going? And I said, I was driving home to my house. I live behind this church. I work with Pastor Matt. There was a pause. He gave me back my license and registration and said, have a good day. Suddenly, I wasn't living by law anymore. I was living by that police officer's love for Pastor Matt. Because Pastor Matt asked me later on, so who was the cop that stopped you? And I said, you know, I, could, I remember his last name. It's right on the badge there. Oh, I was with him when his wife died. Grace was shown to me because someone else, in a sense, stood in my place. And that cop saw Pastor Matt in me somehow. And I got covered in all the good stuff Pastor Matt did for that guy. If you don't want to live by law anymore, you want to be free. You don't want to, if, you want to, if you're sick of judging yourself, rest in Jesus Christ. That's how you get free. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the freedom that we can have in Jesus Christ. It is a truly a transforming grace. Where you're covered in the blood of Christ for us on our behalf, such that those of us who have been living a life of trying to, to, to live up the, to culture's laws about what we should look like, trying to live up to culture's rules about what wealth is, trying to live about up to culture's expectations for, for having the right degrees or the right grades or getting into the right schools or having the right friendships or having the most likes or the, uh, the most blessings our culture can possibly offer. And we, we keep looking around at others. We keep judging ourselves by others, and it is oppressive. And we, 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 we keep trying to find ways. Sometimes we have good days and we feel like we're on top of the world and then the next day, no one's looking, no one's caring and we feel worthless. Take us off that, 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 that roller coaster which, which, which makes us angry, as angry as Paul was to persecute. We get angry sometimes with ourselves or with others. We have to persecute others so that we can feel better about ourselves. Take us away from that, that, the weightiness, the slavery of that law. And give us a freedom so that no matter what position we're in, we, we have the freedom that can only be found in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>